You are listening to My Comic Shop History, part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network. If you enjoy My Comic Shop History, would like to support the show, and also want exclusive access to extra podcasts, be sure to sign up for my Patreon page. Patreon's a form of crowdfunding where users or patrons pledge low-level monthly amounts in exchange for rewards. Rewards on the My Comic Shop History page include up to four exclusive additional podcasts, My Comic Shop Book Club, My Super Fan History, the My Comic Shop History After Show, and coming in early 2019, Beyond My Comic Shop. If you enjoyed that four-part miniseries that I did with Ben Lichtenstein from Zap Comics earlier this season, we're going to be playing around more with that format on the Patreon version of Beyond My Comic Shop. So if you're interested in any of that, or if you just want to support this show and what I do, be sure to head on over to patreon.com slash mycomicshophistory. I want to say thank you so much to everyone who has already pledged. Every pledge amount, from a dollar to $10 or more, every pledge is greatly appreciated, and it allows me to continue to be able to create this show. If you'd like to join, head on over to Patreon now. Hesitation kills. Welcome to My Comic Shop History. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. I am recording on location in Montclair, New Jersey at Eastside Mags with store owner Jeff Beck. We are going to discuss conventions from the perspective of the retailer. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Great, man. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Thanks for all of this. This, well, great. this was an instance of my day job actually coming in handy because I was attending a law school recruiting event at Montclair State University. I've done this event uh, a number of years now, and your store's 10, 15 minutes away from there. It worked out perfectly. Yeah. We're real close to Montclair State. We've got to get more kids from Montclair State coming out here. But I wanted we'll... to ask you about that, because you've set up on campus before, right? Yeah. What yeah. kind of stuff have you done? Uh, so the, I'm part of an organization called the Montclair, Montclair Center BID, which stands for Business Improvement District. And so part of what the organization's focus is, is to help drive customers and tr uh, foot traffic to downtown Montclair, which is where we are, Montclair Center. So uh, one of the things that historically has been difficult is getting kids who go to Montclair State to come down here. And so uh, one of the other local, one of the local, other local shop owners uh, had organized with Montclair State uh, a little bit of an event outside the student center where all the a bunch of different Montclair businesses set up tables and you could sell things, you could just advertise your business. So I brought out just, I don't know, a measly dozen dollar boxes of comics and uh, yeah, handed out flyers, free pens that I had left over from last year's Halloween Comic Fest and just kind of let students know that we were here and we're not that far and they should come down and check us out. And what kind of response did you get? Did any of them end up coming in? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. We've, we've, we've had, we've definitely had an uptick of Montclair state students, but uh, could always be more. Good. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I was curious about this. You know, I worked at my local comic shop for many years. Our clientele was the traditional clientele that you would likely expect for a comic shop. Thankfully we've seen that that's changing a lot, but when the store was open, I mean, for the most part, you know, our customers were 
male and they were older, you know, middle-aged or or so. Mm -hmm. There were some women and there were some kids and high school students. So it wasn't just middle-aged men, but they were primarily, you know, our clientele. I'm always curious, especially again, being so close to the school and, you know, doing events there, if, if college kids are, are reading comics and are coming into the store. College, college kids. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that they're still reading comics. Our, our foot traffic is consists more of the typical comic book store, stuff uh a lot of young professionals who live in montclair because of the ease of public transportation to get into the city or to get to other places and also a lot of families so there's also let's see one two there's like three different schools at least elementary or middle schools within walking distance from the shop lots of families i mean you see all these storefronts around here but it's literally like another block over from here and uh and we've got you've got houses like literally just old Victorian houses that might have one family that might have two families, and so people walk from cert- a certain number of blocks out. They come down here, they go out to eat, they shop with their kids, and their kids are walking home from school, so they'll stop off here. And gotcha. Yeah, it's a cool area. Yeah. So we actually were joined by a special guest here today, not on the episode, but he's hanging out in store, uh, beloved Alternate Realities community member, Rich Roney. Uh, he made his first visit to the store, uh, and he and I, we took a walk to get some coffee before the recording, and we were remarking about what a cool area it is here. Seems like uh, a little more on the hip, trendy side. Is that fair to say? Yeah. A little bit? Nowadays, yeah. yeah. It didn't used to be. <laughs> uh, th- it used This used to be a little, a, a lot rougher back in the like early 90s i think maybe mid 90s uh this was not a hangout spot (laughs) and then uh it started to build up businesses started to move in and it got it's now escalated i guess for lack of a better term into a little bit more of a trendy hip yeah that's kind of the downtown area yeah Yeah. i was getting i also want to thank you you know for having me here to do the recording today in store and on a wednesday no less because yep. I know that's the big day for stores. And again, the store where I worked, the owner would have never, he would not even, he wouldn't even take phone calls wow. on a Wednesday. So I appreciate you doing this. Oh, I mean, I, I can't not take <laughs> phone calls like that. That would kill me. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, it's, so Rich and I were walking to get coffee and we had this moment where we saw Starbucks a little bit ahead, but right next to us, we were by a, a local coffee house and we were like, do we go with the big chain? Do we go indie? And we went, we went into the local store. Yeah. Always shop indie. That's, yeah. that's one thing Montclair has been really good about. Uh, it's a lot of mom and pop stores in the f- almost four and a half years that I've been here. I've, when I first opened, there was a subway down the street they're gone. There was a Quiznos up the street. They're gone. Chains don't seem to last long. The only two chains that I think that we still have really like well-known chains because there's a coffee spot called Crazy Mocha that apparently is a franchise, but uh, I never heard of them until they moved in here. But we have an Anthropology and an Urban Outfitters, and that's basically it. And so you opened in 2014? Yeah. Okay, and the name of the store is derived from a song, correct? Yes. Uh, did I tell you that, or did you know that already? Oh, I did my research. Uh, oh, yeah. You got to do man, your, listen, if you're hosting a show, you got to do your homework. I always give, we, so we have, we have stamp cards, and I'll give extra stamps to people if they ask me if I got my name from the Bouncing Soul song. Uh, I have, just in case they, they hear this, I got permission from Kate at Chunksaw Records. Uh, when I, previously, I was working in Manhattan, when I came up with, the, when I decided I wanted to name the store Eastside Mags, I emailed the record label and asked them if 
there was any th- reason why I couldn't do it. And they, they wrote me back and they said, no, that'd be awesome. Like, that's go for nice. It. So, yeah. So well, that's- it's funny. Cause when I was, uh, before today, I was telling Rich that I was, I was going to be here and I was like, yeah, I'm going to the East side mags. And he was like, oh, like they, they do mag- only magazines. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, d- do you run into that? Any sort of confusion because of the name? A little bit, not, not as much. Um, I do get people who like to riff off of my name. I don't. They'll, they'll call it Eastside Magazines, or Eastside Comics, or uh, what else do I get? Well, I think those are probably like the two main ones. Okay. Well, that's not too bad. Well, you know, my projects. You know, my comic shop documentary, my comic shop history, the new film I'm working on, my comic shop country. I've had people call it all variations of like my comic book store history, all this stuff. Hey, you know, it's close enough. Yeah. Gets the spirit of it at least. Six of one, half a dozen. Yeah, it's fine. As long as you're listening to the podcast, as long as you're buying the comic books, I don't care what you call us. You exactly. Know, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but so you opened in 2014. The name came from the song. Yep. So that's cool. And, uh, you know, I, I was reading an interview you gave uh, about deciding to open the store and, you know, kind of transitioning from the job you had at the time to doing this. And the sense I got, and I would love to hear from you, the sense I got was that, you know, you really put a lot into the preparation and the research and the business side of this. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of retailers on the show for the documentaries, just, you know, in in my travels. And, you know, it's always an interesting thing to me because for the most part, I would imagine most retailers are coming to a store from the perspective of fan collector. Like they grew up reading comics, they love it, there's that passion there and they Mm -hmm. want to turn it into a business. But, you know, sometimes there can be that, like, a wide gulf there between the passion and the business side of it. Oh, and yeah. it seems like you put a lot into making sure that this would be a sound business. Could you tell me about that? Well, about, like, some of the stuff that you did to get this place up and running? This sounds like where I start shouting out a whole bunch of people. So, okay, here we go. <laughs> so, I was working in Manhattan in hotels and conference centers for the better part of a decade. Um, I had a really great boss who, you know, when I went into it, I just wanted to work with like audiovisual equipment. That was kind of it. I didn't realize that working in Manhattan meant it unionized properties and I wouldn't actually get to touch the gear. So it was a little disconcerting. Um, but I mean, whatever. They were paying me like for at like a starting salary of 45 grand a year. I had never made money like that before in my entire life. And I saw dollar signs. So I went corporate, put on a suit, shaved my shaved my face. And, and that was me for, for the better part of a decade. But I had a boss who was really cool and had an open door policy about reading a P&L statement and how to manage a business and control expenses and stuff like that. So I learned a ton from him and his name was Nick Cox. He still is kind of in and out of the industry working for different companies. Right now he's actually back to working for the company we both worked at when we met. Uh, I mean, he's still one of my best friends to this day. Um, but he really really taught, made me feel confident in what I needed to know to run a business. Uh, We worked for a privately owned conference center, which I will not name uh, for legal purposes. Sure. I don't don't need no trouble. And, uh, but his departure from that company didn't go as well as we thought it would. Uh, I followed voluntarily about a month after, but I had spent the the previous two and a half years uh, planning out you know everything i mean how what i would need in terms of fixtures what i would need to spend going to different websites and mapping it all out financially and how much money i would need because it in the beginning the the goal was to get a a small business loan from the the sb the sba the small business administration government program um 
And then the office that I had submitted my application to and was waiting for an interview with, which would determine whether or not I got the loan, the office shut down. Like two days before my interview. And so they put the program on hiatus and I didn't get my loan. And so I'm actually self-funded. No loan, no debt. This is all me. When people come in and go, oh, is this your comic book collection? I mean, the answer technically is yeah, uh, because I bought all this stuff. Uh, This this place opened with my own money because the companies that I worked for in Manhattan, like I said, I started off at 45K, but by the time I was on my way out, I was making almost six figures a year. Wow. And my wife, who was then my girlfriend... We're simple, we're simple folks. Like we never really took vacations. We never drove fancy cars. We never really went crazy spending money on things we don't need. So it just stockpiled until I bought her an engagement ring, which is probably the most expensive thing other than the house that I bought my entire life. Um, But yeah, but I just, I had all this money saved up to put up against the loan that I was trying to take from the government. And I ended up just using that in and of itself. So, um, so yeah, so then it was doing research on spaces. Originally it was supposed to be Jersey city. Um, I talked to Ben, I had reached out to Ben at zap comics because I was a customer of his for literally 25 years. I grew up in Wayne. I was shopping at zap comics when they first opened up. Yeah. He mentioned you Uh, on one of the uh, episodes that he was on previously. Yeah. He's the best. I mean, Ben is really like the dude knows his stuff. He is one of the one of the most like knowledgeable guys in this industry. Like I don't know if he could tell you how many times Superman fought Darkseid throughout history, but the the stuff that he knows about the comics business, publishers, buying comics, I mean it's just you could fill whole encyclopedia volumes with what he knows and still it wouldn't be enough like he's he's the best. Yeah. Um he was cool enough when I went in there and said, this is what I want to do. You know, can I sit down and ask you questions? And he went, well, where are you opening? He's so shrewd, but that's a good question. No, it's, it's in, a, in that episode, he talked about someone who opened like very, very close to him. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember that. I, I remember that, that shop too. They weren't that great. Ben was still better. Um, and I'm not just saying that, but, uh, you know, I, at the time I said Jersey City, and then when it changed from Jersey City to Montclair, I, I even reached out to him and was like, hey, plans have changed. Like, now I'm looking at Montclair. Like, I hope this doesn't change anything that we talked about. And he said, nope, it's fine. He, uh, it's still far enough away from me that it's not Im- impacting, you know, his backyard, so to speak. And, cool. you know, it was fine. But I, I sat that we had pizza and right around the corner from his shop, and I came with a list of questions, and that's in the parking lot waiting for him is where I decided to name it Eastside Mags because the song came on on my on my uh, on my phone in the car, and I went, "Oh, this is perfect. This that's, is great." Yeah, very serendipitous. It's a sign. And uh, so you know, Ben was huge, and uh, I'll actually have to drop the name uh, Comics Pro. Uh, the Comics Pro guys had a free message board online that I utilized. I think I must have read every single post as long as that message board was alive. I went through all of them looking for links to websites where I could get fixtures and how to buy this and that. And I'm now a member of Comics Pro, Very a nice. paid annual member. No, I mean, kudos. I mean, you, you put in your due diligence and it paid off. I mean, the store is great. You get a really nice space here, a nice mix of things. 
Yeah. Was my initial we'll impression. This was the first time, you know, that, that I'm here. Uh, and, you know, I, I mentioned Starbucks a few moments ago, and you and I had a conversation off mic about uh, sort of your experience as a Starbucks customer and the, how that informed what you wanted this store to be, or, or maybe more importantly, what you wanted it not to be. Would, could you just explain that for our uh, listeners? Definitely, definitely influential. I'll say that much. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a big coffee drinker, but I don't understand Starbucks at all. Their menu doesn't make sense to me. Their employees aren't friendly. I stand there in line, staring at the at the menu board, trying to figure out and decipher their the hieroglyphs. And what is this? And what's a frappa mocha latte? And you know. And then I always, by the time I hit the register, just give me a large coffee, cream and sugar. Oh, I got to put my own sugar in. Okay, that's fine. Whatever, you know. Right. So it's like and you just, come in like you want you want something different and more exciting. So you want to try something, but you end up defaulting because of the way the system is set up. You end or, up defaulting to something standard. Or I don't even know what 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 different is in their store because right. of the way the menu set up, because the employees are a certain way or acting a certain way. So uh, you know, so I, I I feel awkward. And then I end up just resorting to ordering what I'm comfortable with and moving on with my life. I mean, my wife and I are regular Starbucks drinkers, and we struggle with it. And we've often commented, like, if you are not familiar with that menu, I don't even know, like, we don't know where to begin. Because there's so much stuff nowadays, especially, that's not even listed on the menu. And the things that are listed, they don't explain what they are in a lot yeah. of cases and it's uh, very challenging I remember one time on the drive-thru this was before I was I, I wasn't as uh, knowledgeable yet about my coffee drinks but I asked through the intercom what the difference was between regular espresso and Americano and the gentleman on the other end said oh it's a matter of preference and I was like huh. does not answer my question there you go <laughs> I now know that an Americano is espresso with water simple Ooh. enough that's it they just add water see and now I learned something about coffee that's cool but yes but there's <laughs> matter of preference no matter okay i guess it is but that still doesn't answer Ooh. my question yeah no it definitely didn't but so then how did that influence what what you wanted to do and not like not like starbucks was your main your main driving force here but i know yeah, like yeah. that you know you kind of had you were talking about that well no I, you know i wanted i wanted my store and you know as i'm sure you very well know having interviewed and been in many comic shops you know, historically, comic shops are not known for being welcoming places. They're not known for being well lit or having friendly staff or easy access to a variety of different types of comic books. And I've been in comic shops all over the world and I've seen some really great ones and I've seen some really terrible ones. And we won't get, I won't get into which one's which, but, <laughs> uh, but I, I just, I knew I've always been. I've always fought against the grain. My dad will be the first person to like stand up and go, oh yeah, all he does is fight. I mean, I, I, I'm always against the grain. I'm always pushing against the current of the, of the river. Uh, maybe it's just me being stubborn, I don't know. Uh, or it's the punk rock in me, but I wanted to go against every, like, I, I, mean, I think even at one point I probably listed out like all the stigmas, the posters with the big breasted women in the windows and the shitty lighting and all that stuff. And I said, I'm going to do the exact, just the exact opposite of all of these things. Like I'll have cartoony characters all over the place and I have mannequins dressed in Halloween costumes year round and led lights that are super bright and not blinding bright, but bright enough that there's no dark corners. And right. you know, I'm not going to hire anybody who's weird or is going to make people feel weird and it's going to be a work a welcoming environment and we're going to have we have an all ages section that's massive compared comparatively to a lot of other comic book stores i've been in 
where parents can bring their kids in and feel comfortable like letting their kid walk around by themselves and not be worried about some big smelly dude like hawking over their kid like what are you looking for (laughs) you know that's weird and now that i have a kid i know exactly how weird that really is and uh you know i just wanted to go against all that stuff and i wanted it to be welcoming i wanted to be the shop where new readers can come to check out different stuff and feel comfortable and confident and not walk in and go Oh, I don't understand all this, so I guess I'll just buy a Spider-Man and walk out like like I do with my coffee and Starbucks. Like, right. I wanted to get people into comics, genuinely into it. Very cool. I mean, we could do a whole episode just talking about your comic shop history and the store itself, but you know, our, our theme this season on the podcast is conventions and you know, I've been speaking to all the different kinds of players who are involved on the convention scene, from organizers to press to creators to cosplayers. And uh, I, of course, had to do an episode with the retailer. And so I, I want to hear about, uh, you know, Eastside Mag's con presence generally. But specifically, I really want to talk about this Clifton Comic Book Expo. Okay. Uh, because one thing that we've explored this season is a complaint that you hear a lot of times about the larger comic conventions, which is that they're too pop culture heavy. I'm not mm-hmm. saying whether or not I agree with that, but that complaint is out there. And the, this Clifton show seems to be an answer to that. Like for people who feel like there's too much going on at these other shows. I mean, I'd love to hear you describe it. My understanding from the photos and videos and descriptions that, that I've uh, come across, it's like d- dealers with comics, right? Like that's it. Essentially, yeah. Um, and it's at the uh, Clifton Community Rec Center yep, here in Jersey? That's correct. Uh, about 15, 20 minutes down the road from us. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I like doing the show because like, it's 15, 20 minutes down the road. So it's not unheard of for someone who's going to make the trip out to the Clifton show to drive those extra few minutes to the shop. So it's the promotional value. makes If I don't make a dollar at that show, but I hand out 100 business, 100 business cards... It's totally been worth my time to be there. And it's 70 bucks a table. Is that right? I saw that. I think I saw that on the website. Uh, yes, but you know, the guy who, no. ru- the guy who runs it, if you buy out, you know, a couple of months in advance and stuff like that, you know, it's, gotcha. he's, he can, he can, he can be flexible sometimes depending okay. on who you are. And this is know. a gentleman named John Paul. Yeah. Okay. Uh, really nice guy has been a collector his entire life does actually does. He'll usually set up a table at his own shows if there's space. Uh, and a lot of times the stuff that he's selling will be like real sweet, like golden age, silver age comics. But he'll be selling them on behalf of like, it might be like a widow who just lost her husband and it's her husband's collection. And he's selling it and taking like a fraction of a percentage of commission from her. But m- all the money is basically going to her to help pay for bills or whatever and he does it's it's like charity work that he does and he, he does it a lot oh, it's that's nice a ton of time you know so um yeah he's just a really nice dude no i mean it sounds like it so all right so 70 dollars, but again maybe you get a deal if you've been doing it a bunch free admission for attendees i saw mm-hmm. that now they're charging a five dollar early bird fee for people who want to get there ahead of time yeah, uh, or is that not even really probably, enforced it's, it's probably not the best i Let's see. Do I say it? I'm going to say it because I don't care. I call them the vultures 
Um, <laughs> usually the vultures come and pick at the remains, right? But uh, right, yeah. But yeah, not the not 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 in the comic book world. The vultures come first, um, and it happens all the time at conventions when you know it's the second you get the lids off your boxes on the table. It's like these dudes just swarm in in mass, like five six at a time. And just start ripping apart your boxes and digging through stuff, trying to look for all the good stuff before, you know, when you do, you know, and every show has them. There's no show that, that I've ever done, set up a table out, that's been exempt from this. I mean, East Coast Comic Con, Garden State Comic Fest, Clifton shows, everywhere. They're always there. Um, and it's either other dealers who want to try to catch something or find something that maybe they think they can flip later that day or that weekend or it's the collectors who want to try to just get first cracks at everything so you know so john paul because it's free admission all day you know these guys were coming in super early they'd help move a couple of tables or chairs around but then they'd be picking through the boxes and getting all the good stuff and john paul who's like me very customer focused very value added focused said you know what like enough is enough like if these guys want to come in early let them pay five bucks and he felt like five bucks is totally is is is, is a small enough amount of money but a, a significant enough amount of money that you know if he gets 10 people that's 50 bucks that, yeah. he, that he got back and those 10 people can come in and they can pick through all the best stuff and they get first cracks at all the vendors and stuff like that and and it's cool, but if they want to be super stingy and not pay the five bucks, and you know, why are you going to charge me five dollars? You know, okay, right. well then you get to come in with everybody else, but you shop with everybody else, and yeah, fair is fair. fair. And uh, so yeah, so so he charges a five dollar early admission fee, which I don't disagree with because, yeah. like I said, those guys are on your boxes the second those lids come off, man. Like that's always the last thing I do too. Now it shows is take the lids off the boxes because these guys. It's like, whoom, and they're just there. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't even turn my tablet on. I didn't plug in my credit card reader. And already you've got a stack of, like, 30 comics there. Like, what What happened? Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Yeah, some, some collectors don't mess around, man. They're legit. I know. Uh, so, and th this is a monthly show? Yes, with the exception for July and August, because the rec center that he holds it in does, like, a summer program for kids. And okay. They, and they don't want to flip the room back and forth, I think. So yeah, and so you I, do this? Do you do it every month? Uh, I pay for every month. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sometimes some uh, I just I'm, I'm four and a half years in, and I'm still fine tuning my processes on getting my schedule straight. Okay. Uh, and every once in a while, I screw up, and I'll book like a signing because I, you know, we do a lot of events here too. We do signings and magic tournaments and, and Dungeons open and mic Dragons nights, and right? And, and concerts and all kinds of comedy stuff. Comedy open mic nights and live music and stuff like that. And so I'm, there've been there've been mo months where I book a signing with an artist or a writer or both. And it's on a Sunday, and then I'm looking at my calendar, and I'm going, oh, crap. I was like, it's a fucking Clifton show the next day, the same day. <laughs> and then I got a message, JP, and you know, I'm really sorry, but I booked a signing. And I don't like not being here. As the owner, I think it's like, it's important for me to be here. If I'm having a guest, I yeah. should be here as well. Uh, at least as a, in a representational fashion. Yeah, and face in the store. Just running the register, you know. So... I have to like cancel with JP and then he's always real courteous. Cause sometimes I know people who would take my table. And so 
we can work something out in that regard. Or if I give him enough advance notice, he knows enough people that he could always get the spot filled so he's not stuck with an empty spot. And he'll roll my, roll my payment into like another month or something. So. Cool. So like I said, I mean, I've not been to that show specifically, but I've read about it and I've seen photos and videos too, which are actually really helpful. And I, I think I got a pretty good picture of, of what it's like. Uh, I mean, like roughly how many vendors are there set up? Because that was one thing I was, I didn't quite get a sense of the scope of it. You know, I've never really counted. Oh, I want to say roughly like maybe 20 to 30 vendors. Right. But I would, but definitely, I mean... Out of out of those vendors, easily ninety percent of them, if not all of them, are selling comic books. Some guys will have some comics and some vintage toys that maybe they picked up at like a flea market or a garage sale. There's one guy who who all he sells is supplies, like boards and bags and stuff like that, which is not those a bad are thing. Yeah, I mean, that's actually probably pretty smart. People, I've got people a, need them. I've got a lot of dollar boxes where they're just they're in there raw because they're a buck, uh, you know, or fifty cent boxes. And, uh, you know, maybe someone wants to put in a bag and board. Um, you know, at Alternate Realities, we always joked about this, but it was kind of true. We had pre-made bags and boards right by the register for like a quarter each. And they were our best seller. I mean, you could buy them more cheaply if you just bought a package of each, but people didn't want to be bothered to assemble them and they would just buy them already made. We do. We do 15 cents <laughs> and we have them. I mean, we used to keep them right by the register and now they're kind of behind the register, but... You know, either way, yeah. Yeah, it's like the so same supplies. Thing. Yeah, there you go. It's pretty shrewd. People need them. Yeah. Um, all right, so that's... Oh, so I'm assuming then not a ton of, like, Funko Pops at this place. <laughs> I mean, there's one or two guys who will bring, like, a bunch of Funko Pops with them. But, I mean, but those even those guys, like, uh, my buddy Stan, who's actually doing... Well, by the time this airs, it'll have been over. But November 3rd, he's doing uh, a, a, Middletown, a, a comic show in Middletown, New Jersey. Um but he's a vendor. Uh, he he he's he goes by the, the name Comics Collision. Really nice dude. Uh, he sells a lot of Funko Pops. But his table is always raw comics, dollar comics, maybe some slabs. But like it's still when you walk up to his booth, he he'll have some wall books. But it'll be a ton of Funko Pops. Okay. But it's not a room full of Funko Pops. It's right. like him and maybe like one other guy will have Funko Pops. But really, everybody's got comics. It's it's great, but it's it's a lot of competition in the room because you know you don't know who's got who. And it's true. I mean, what you know. what do you do at one of those shows to like set yourself apart? Is there have you? I don't know. At this point now, have you been able to gauge like there's not a, a particular dealer who brings. X type of book and that's what I'm going to bring or like what what do you typically try to do to stand out I, ca I, I cast the widest net possible uh, and then even sometimes there are months where you know I'll bring discounted trades and hardcovers I'll bring new books at a little bit of a discount dollar comics wall books and maybe comic sets and like sometimes I'll hit big and you know I have what people are looking for and they're buying it up and then sometimes every other person who comes up Where's your, uh, where's your Silver Age Marvel? Oh, crap, I didn't bring the Silver Age stuff with me. So then the next month I'll bring Silver Age with me, and then everyone's going, uh, last month you had a lot of modern? Like, I'm, I'm looking for modern stuff. What? A month later, you switched from yeah. silver to modern? You know, Just figure whatever you don't bring, that's what people are going to ask for. Well, yeah, that's like, <laughs> that's like the old adage, right? So, th so there's that. But, you know, I just I try to bring a little bit of everything and, you know. You roll the dice, and hopefully, hopefully it work. You know, it, it's always worked out in some regard. Whether you know, whether it's a couple hundred bucks over my cost that I'm making, or a thousand bucks over my cost, or 
you know, sometimes you hit, you hit big. It's like the lottery, I guess. Uh, well, I guess, yeah, especially, you know, in your case where the, you know, the fee for a table is relatively low compared to other shows sure, and you're yeah. so close. So it's not like you're incurring large travel costs. So it's mm -hmm. like almost anything would be a, would be a plus. Well, that's why I like, uh, like I, I, I tend to joke with a lot of the other vendors there because I mean, there's one guy, Ray, who comes out from Long Island and I mean, Ben, Ben's at Zap and Wayne, which is still like kind of right around the corner, but you know, still a little further away than we are, but not by much. Yeah. Um, but there's guys who drive far to come out for this show. And I mean, I, like I said, I, I look at it, I'm 15 minutes away from the rec center. So if I don't have what you need, like I'm definitely, I'm telling everybody, oh, you're looking for Silver Age Marvel? Yeah, I didn't bring it with me this month, but here's a card, shop's 15 minutes away. Definitely tons of Silver Age Marvel at the shop. Go check it out. And, you know, I've got my guys here. I've got two employees and an intern who run the shop when I'm not here. And, you know, if I can get some foot traffic out of it, even if I don't make a dollar, it's still worth it for me to go out to this show because of the proximity and the likelihood of getting some extra foot traffic through the door. Uh, no, I can identify with that, of, you know, trying to use the show to, to feed the store. So at Alternate Realities, where, where I worked, uh, the store really didn't have much of a convention presence uh, during the time I was there. The previous generations, I think, pursued that a little bit more. But by the time I was working there, we weren't really doing shows. But in like the final year or two of the store, we, we did one show uh, at the Westchester County Center, uh, mm -hmm. which was five or ten minutes away from the store. Um, it was right up you know, Central Avenue. And so we were there. And we, we brought a fair amount of stuff. But it's like everyone who came to the table, it's like, hey, the store's open. <laughs> you can yeah. go there now. Uh, I still don't know if that if people actually came in that day or after, but uh, you know that was something that you know that we did uh, there too. That's I have to say it's funny. Like uh, you know, I've, again, I talk to a lot of retailers, and there are a lot of things that I can I can identify with. It's like yeah, I know what it's like to break down a new shipment. I know what it's like dealing with customers, good and bad. And like there's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that I've dealt with personally, but the convention side, not as much. That's really my one experience of being like on the retailer side of a convention. Yeah. It was interesting. A different different way to experience the show. I mean, I, I always liked going to conventions even before I had the shop, when the shop was just a, a spawn of an idea in my head. Uh, so, you know, being on the other side of the table is cool. Uh, it's definitely a, a bit of a wilder experience than in the shop, I guess, because it's a mixed bag. You really, you don't know who's buying tickets to this con. So anybody could walk up. I mean, we've had all kinds of people, men, women, boys, girls, old, young, you know, come up to the booth. Uh, and, you know, plus, it, depending on where the convention is, you have people traveling from other parts of the, the state, even other states, um, like Garden State Comic Fest being in Morristown. That's where you so, and I met, actually, in person. Yep. And, uh, you know, sometimes, like, I met a whole bunch of people who had traveled out from Pennsylvania, not as a group, but, like, individually. Um right. You know, but people were like, oh, you know, I'm from Philly, and I drove all the way up here just for this show. And it's, wow, okay, cool. I don't know if anybody from Philly ever drove up just to come to my shop, but, you know, if they did, they didn't tell me. Um, but, yeah, but that's that's kind of what's cool about the convention circuit is it's a different crowd, like 80 90% different than what you would normally see coming into the shop because you get a lot of regulars. You get a lot of people who come in every week every couple weeks every month and ray right that's his name rich rich so rich pulled out my postcard out of his pocket when he walked in which is which is dope that was great uh Thank you. two years 
I, I did, that was one postcard I didn't waste money on printing because he held on to it for like two years. He said he's fairly confident it's been two years and he had it in his pocket. That's awesome. Like, yeah. Well, you know, it's fun. So this brings up something I was going to get to a little bit later because it's kind of like a big picture question, but something that I was thinking about because, you know, again, I've spent a lot of time in stores and I think I have a good sense of like what a store can do in terms of allowing people to share their their interests and passion and, you know, this an environment, again, if it's a good store where you feel welcomed mm -hmm. uh, and you can express yourself and friendships are formed and all that stuff. And it's like, so con I feel like conventions are similar, but there's still something different. Like what can conventions do different than what a shop can do? Is it just that it's on a larger scale? Like there's so much more in terms of stuff and people? Like what's the difference, do you well, think? I think it's, it's, it's a little bit that, but it's also, it's just, a, it's a different market. I mean, you know, I, I tell a lot of people, you know, like Zap. We, I'll, I'll keep using Zap as an example. Like Zap. No, they're going to love all this uh, free, uh, <laughs> free promotion here. I don't know <laughs> if I want to promote anybody else, though. All right. We'll, we'll, th we'll throw one to Anthony at Dewey's. So, uh, you know, Dewey's Comics is not even, even close to here. Uh, it's probably a, what, a solid 30-minute drive. Uh, easy. So nobody around here is really going out to Dewey's, but the one, you know, the one thing that I have found works really well for us in Montclair, like indie books, uh, Image, Dark Horse, Action Lab, um, you know, a little bit more of the off the cuff stuff. And I might not sell as many copies of Batman as Zap does or Dewey's does. Uh, I'm not even going to say Midtown because Midtown sells more than any of us. But I mean, did, did you go to New York Comic Con? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their their space on the floor was you, massive. You, you could get lost in just their <laughs> footprint. Like it's it's crazy how big their their booth space is. Yeah. I mean, it's as big as some stores. So I mean, even though Zap's got two locations compared to everybody else I know, uh, we'll, we'll still keep Zap in the running because they still have that like small that small yeah. store feel. But like those guys might sell twice as many Batman books as I do. But I, I truly believe that in, with some of the, like the, the more indie titles, I spank both those guys with number of copies sold. And it's, and it's market. It's not anything I'm doing differently than they are. It's just I, I reside in a town that's very indie. It's a lot of, like I said, it's a lot of mom and pop stores. These people in this town and in this area love to shop local. They're very focused on that because a lot of their neighbors have small businesses, whether it be storefronts or online or whatever. And so they're coming in and they're going, yeah, you know, I read a lot of Batman and X-Men when I was a kid, but I'm really looking for something different. So I might, I, pr I probably sell more dark arc or aftershocks books or image books or random dark horse stuff just because that's the market I'm in. So, you know, I'm not going to buy maybe 150 copies of Batman because I'm not going to sell through 150 copies. Maybe Zap does. And that's great because at the end of the day, we're all still making money and it's just maybe their clientele likes the superhero stuff more, but my clientele definitely like they'll pick up X-Men Spider-Man and Batman, but they're also, you know, they're buying up Hellboy. They're buying up, you know, Dead Rabbit was a good seller for us, Dark Ark, uh, Wicked and Divine. I mean, stuff like that. That's it's good. Just, I think, you know, not to get too off track, but I mean, I feel like that's where the opportunities for growth are in this industry is mm -hmm. with stuff like that. And with, you know, 
waking people up to the fact that you know comics are uh, are a medium, and within them, you know, or within within that medium, there's so many different genres, and it's just like, you know, uh, music or movies or TV. It's like there's probably something that you like. It's not, and it's not just the superhero stuff. And that's a big thing for me too. Is you know, and I think it's it's a big thing for people who want to get into comics. Is that is letting them know that there's something out there for everybody. It's not all Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, and Hulk. Like, and those those books are great, and they sell well. But you know, there's also a ton of stuff out there that sci-fi westerns. You know, there's a ton of stuff that deals with a ton of other things that isn't just Batman punching Joker in the face. Right. And uh, one of the best moments that I think I had in the story was was uh, a mom came in with her with her kid and was helping them find stuff for the kid and she made this like I don't think she was trying to be mean and I think I kind of took it as like a challenge when she said it but she was like oh she was like well I don't read comics because you know I'm not really into I'm not really into it and I went I looked at her and one of the things I always pride pride us on and my employees have done a fantastic job of backing me up on this is recommendations reading enough different stuff that maybe I don't have a recommendation for you but Chris will Ariel my other employee will and uh, and they're great at that and so I said to her like you know well what kind of stuff are you into? And we have a couple of questions that we ask people, you know, to try to gauge what their interests are. Because if I don't know what you like, I'm, I'm what, all I'm doing is throwing stuff at a wall to see what sticks. And I could do that all day and not find anything. So I asked, we asked a couple of questions and she went, oh, well, you know, one of my favorite movies is Devil Wears Prada. And I went, oh, there's a comic for that. And she was like, there's a Devil Wears Prada comic. And I went, no, but it's called Snot Girl. And it's about a fashionista who has a blog. Her jaw hit the ground. She looked at it. She flipped through it. She loved the art. She was like, "Who writes it?" And I said, "It's the same guy who wrote Scott, Pil- who did Scott Pilgrim." And she was just, ex- her head exploded, and nice. she bought the first trade. And I mean, that's you know, it, man. That's what more could you I li- ask for? I listened to what she had to say. I knew enough about my product that I could find something that that worked for her. And you know. And now you got a comic fan yeah. out of it. Another new reader, like knock one up for for East Side Mags. Yeah, and, no, I love you know, to hear stuff like that. Even if she doesn't come back here, as long as she's still reading, like that's all, and that's all that matters. Yeah, you know? that's another reader. Rising mm-hmm. tide lifts all ships. Yep. So, so take me back to this Clifton show. Not to not to harp on it, but it's just it's so interesting to me because I, I mean, again, so it really seems to be like this old school style of convention that mm-hmm. you used to hear about from decades ago, where yep. it was like just dealers and comics. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I guess for you personally, whether whether and the answer might be different, whether you're talking about as a fan or as a dealer. But I mean, generally speaking, which type of show? And I know you do both. But like, which type do you tend to enjoy more? Like what style of show? Any show that gets me out of the store for a day or a weekend. <laughs> uh, not that I don't like being in the shop, but I mean, I don't know. Well, you're like, here a lot, I'm well, sure. So it's you know a little change of pace. When I when I was working the usual nine to five grind, I was also playing music. And one of my favorite things about playing music was going on tour, whether it was two weeks or two days. Like Is that just, how you got to explore so many comic shops? Yeah, yeah. partially. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about that in the after show if you're cool with it. That would okay. be fun to talk about the travels. Oh God! See, so you got to sign up for the Patreon now, listeners, because you want to you want to hear this uh, about these travels. Oh, uh, so many tour stories. It's not even funny. But uh, <laughs> you have a music podcast. We could fill the, an hour with that too. Nah, um, that I don't. Ooh, <laughs> good, good for that's, that's that's better for everybody. I think. <laughs> um, no, but like I don't know, just 
I, I mean, I, I use the old five by nine enclosed trailer that my band used to use when we went on tour, um, stuff like that. Uh, it, just getting in the car and driving to a location, not knowing who you're going to see, um, you know, and then sometimes you go to a show and there's big name artists or writers who, you know, they're like right there. And yeah, when you attend a con, you might be waiting in line to meet someone like Neil Adams or uh, Tom King or something like that. But then sometimes you go to a convention when you're when you're tabling at it, you're there before the crowd gets in. Like you see these guys coming back from getting a breakfast sandwich at the snack bar or coming back from the bathroom or just drinking their cup of coffee, sitting there like trying to get themselves psyched up and energetic <laughs> because they know the crowd's coming through in like 30 minutes. So they're like getting their booth together. And it's like, if they're cool, you get, you can get five minutes of FaceTime with like a big name artist or writer and just say hi, you know, and tell them how much you appreciate their work. And I don't know. I've like, maybe I'm like the worst retailer in the world, but I'm not like, signature obsessed i'm not like oh my god i'm doing garden state comic fest and neil adams is here let me dig out every batman book he ever worked on and maybe he'll sign it you know before the show starts like i'm just that's not me i've never been that way i wasn't that way as a collector and i collected for over 25 years and i just wanted to know how batman was going to get out of it the next week right. like i just wanted to know where the story's going but like to be able to like wake up in the morning get in the car, drive to a different location, get a cup of coffee, see everybody setting up their tables and smell what the room smells like when it's full of comics. and Before it's full of all the yeah, uh, convention goers. Before, yeah, before it's full of con crud and the unwashed masses. <laughs> People sneezing on your dollar boxes and you're going, oh, mark that guy, tag him, he's patient zero. Everybody's getting sick now. Um yeah, I don't know. Like it's just so old school or new school. You just that you enjoy the con experience. Yeah, it doesn't like the the stuff like the Clifton Show. I used to go to those a lot. There was a place called Sports World in Paramus. They used to do comic shows. There was a crappy little like hotel on Route Forty Six. I think it was like a Ramada Inn or some some shit like that. They used to do shows. And actually, I think the one at the crappy Ramada Inn that I'm talking about, loosely referencing. I think the guy who run that sold, and I'm doing air quotes now, sold his business to JP like huh. 20, 25 years ago. If you ever meet JP, you got to ask him about that. Say Jeff Beck from Eastside Mags told, was talking about shitty Ramada in comic shows. So I'm pretty sure he told me that he bought the show from that guy and then moved it around. Uh, he is someone I'd be interested to talk to. I mean, this season's winding down. This is our penultimate installment. Um, but maybe at some point in the future, I try to track down uh, John Paul for something like this. He's, a, he's a good guy to talk to about conventions for sure. But uh, yeah, I always like those where it's just a room full of people with boxes and boxes under the table, boxes on the table, and just... A ton of people, and I mean a ton of people, just what? digging, 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 trying to find that one part of a Batman miniseries that they just never owned, or fill this run, or get this book that's their holy grail, and that's a term that gets tossed around a lot. The oh, grail. This is my holy grail. Yeah. This is, you know, Spider-Man number 50, or, you know, something. And, you know, it's cool. And then, and that's also where you, you meet a lot of people who have that experience, who find that book for a price that they're comfortable paying because a lot of times guys in stores can be a little stodgy and not want to 
Bucker Bend on their pricing. And I mean, you know, not to say that we're totally flexible on our pricing and stuff like that, but you know, you don't get that. Oh man, I've been looking for this book for like 12 years and I've never found one, a copy that I can afford. But you seem to f- come across that at cons like yeah. four or five times a day, which is exponentially more than we get here in the shop. So it's, it's interesting. It's cool. And yeah. there's a sense of fulfillment you get when you're looking at somebody who's scored that comic at the right, at the price that they're happy with. And, you know, you've just fucking made their day. Like, yeah, no, it's win-win. Good yeah. feelings all around. That's cool. I was doing some research just on Facebook, and uh, this wasn't your event page, but it was a, another New Jersey store. They created an event for their attendance at the Clifton Show. And in the description, they wrote, uh, no lines, cosplayers, panels, or people who don't care about comics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm curious, well, like, what, like, what is the, the atmosphere typically like at this Clifton Show? And what type of attendees are we talking about? Like, are, like do families come? Do you have kids? Or is it more? Yeah, yeah? yeah there's a, I would say about 10%, maybe 15% families. I mean, they're families because it's parents and children, but usually one of the one of the parents, generally the dad, is the one there, like, right. really looking to fill his collection and do what comic collectors do. Uh, he brings the kids along because he knows enough that there's comics out there for kids. And there's enough stuff out there, or maybe he wants to get his kids into it, or maybe his kid's into it and just doesn't, you know. He, he or maybe mom felt like it was a good place for them to kind of pick up their first comics or get their start or learn about collecting and tracking down those back issues so yeah yeah but i would say about 10 15 percent families mostly just dudes women coming in rummaging through back issues rummaging through uh, through long boxes through long boxes through plastic bins or whatever uh and then the clifton show what they do that's kind of unique to other shows is uh there's a no minimum bid auction Oh, yeah, like, I was reading about it. I meant to ask you a about little, that. A little more than halfway through the day. So basically what happens is all the vendors who are there, put an you can put one item, one lot, let's say, into this auction. And whatever it goes for is what you get paid. So, I mean, you might bring like a $25 action figure, throw it in there. You might only get 6 bucks for it, but you might get 30 bucks for it because <laughs> it's an auction. So JP stands there like... I want to say one o'clock. I don't know. I never know. I never know when the auction's taking place until I actually hear him like announce that the auction's about to start. And wait, each item is auctioned individually, or is like one huge lot that everyone that you could bid? No, on? it's it's, it's each individually. Gotcha. So there's like twenty, depending on how many vendors there are. It could be like twenty or thirty different items. But like, I might throw in an action figure. Another guy might put a little box together that has some key issues or some bullshit issues. You know, all mixed together. Do people do mystery boxes? No, any kind of mystery no. that'd be interesting i don't uh, see i don't know if jp would do a mystery box okay because yeah I, that could yeah that could get dicey because it sits on a table in the middle of the room and so as you're walking around the show you can go over to the table and you can take a look at the stuff and you can see like there's one guy who always puts in like a little like a small cardboard box with like maybe 30 to 50 comics in it and half of them might be minor key issues and like out of that other half you might have a, a couple that are like major keys and then the rest are just like filler issues. So you'll get people who will flip through and then they'll see like, oh, this is, he's got a first print of the killing joke in here and then they'll take it out. They'll ask if they can open the bag they want to inspect it because they want to know 
how high they're how high they'd be willing to go when the auction time comes. Right. Sometimes they just walk by and they go, "Oh, Aquaman action figure, okay, you've got eight bucks for it," you know. And it's from a retailer's perspective, it's not it's it's not a bad way to kind of dump an item or a couple of items that just aren't selling for you and just take whatever you can get for it. Sometimes it's a good way to make a couple extra bucks and a little extra profit on the side. So Cool. Well, I mean, I guess I would say, you know, for people who are kind of fed up with the more pop culture heavy shows, this is one that they might want to check out. There's a yeah. show for everybody. And it's very comic focused. So it's, yeah, it seems that way. it's real just comics and that's it so as far as conventions generally in your presence at them uh so again like you and i met at garden state comic fest mm -hmm. um like what does a booth there run run a retailer roughly uh, oh that's a good question i'm usually in it for about a grand okay i think so that's definitely a larger investment but I get I don't I don't get I get like two booths and it's an end cap and it's a little bit of a premium there's a little okay. bit of a premium attached to it um yeah because i'm at the point now where the bigger booths are in my price range and worth my worth the time and effort for me to load you know a couple of dozen extra long boxes into the tra to the old trailer and drag it out there and ask get a couple of my friends on board for the weekend to help me load in and load out and buy another hand truck and stuff like that so um when I first started out, I'd get like one booth, and I don't even remember what one, like inline hidden booth costs. But right. yeah, usually I'm in it for about a grand, I think. All right. So at that point, you Give know, or take. yeah. So in terms of then like that cost benefit analysis and what you're trying to get out of the show, I mean, I'm assuming for a show like that, it goes beyond like trying to feed people into the stores. Like you're looking to sell more at the at the convention itself, yeah. something like that, right? For sure. Uh, I mean, we also we do have an online store. Um, and uh yeah we have an online store uh and you never know i mean maybe people are willing to take the drive out to montclair from wherever it is they are uh to come check out the shop um it's brand building it's building a name for yourself it's getting your face in front of people and you know being able to meet people like you and <laughs> meet meet other collectors because you never True. you never know who's willing to get into a car and drive an hour two hours to come to your shop because True. you just made that kind of a good impression and they like you they like your stuff you know and can unload some stock maybe that you've had here for a while that your regular customers have seen all the time and now you can bring in front of new people well yeah and that brings right. us back to market where you know Maybe maybe my discounted new books, you know, if it's two ninety nine cover and I'm selling it for two bucks, maybe someone's going, oh, this is so it's not a, it's not a huge discount, but at least it's you know it's a they feel like they're getting enough of a discount that maybe they'll get into DC Rebirth or whatever Marvel's calling their new shit now, all new, all different, all right. stupid, you know, Marvel brand X, whatever. Uh, <laughs> who, can, who can keep track? It's been like 20 volumes of Spider-Man in the last three years. So I know. Uh, but Any particularly memorable interactions or people you've dealt with at these shows that, that stand out? Um, Howard Chaikin is just an angry dude. He's fantastic, but he's so... I mean, he will, he will not take it easy on anybody. Uh, like you walk up to Howard Jake at, at his booth and the curse words are flying and he is just 
Like he's he he's a, he. There's nobody in the industry. I'm convinced who's more real than Howard. Huh. Uh, and he'll cut it to you exactly like it is. Doesn't even care. He doesn't care if you buy his book or not. He's just gonna keep writing them, and it's and that's it. Uh, someone will buy them. If it's not you, it'll be somebody else. But he he is very blunt, <laughs> very straightforward. He was cool. Uh, I mean, I just we do a lot of events here in the shop, and we do, we host a lot of artists and writers. So shows like Garden State Comic Fest and East Coast Comic Con and stuff like that, like those are really great opportunities for me to kind of do a little networking. Uh, I'll bring a couple of friends who, who, who can run the booth for me for a little bit. And I'll walk around and try to introduce myself to people. And I mean, I don't know. It's all cool. And it also, it also turns into a bit of a, re a reunion too when you're, yeah. see when you're seeing a lot of people who you've either hosted before or you chat with a lot at other conventions and you're seeing, Hey, how's it going? How's the shop? How's the family? How's your wife? How's your husband? Like, you know, you're just catching up with people and it's just, everybody's there for the same reason. I mean, everybody's got something to sell, but you know, you know, you all love comics, you know, you all have this common ground, no matter who you are, where you're from, where you've been. And everybody's just there. Because they love comics and it's fun, and yeah, I, I nothing. Not, I don't think there's any one real thing that stands out. No, fair enough. And then just as far as kind of the retailer community at these shows, like what are your interactions like with other retailers, especially beyond like the the local stores that you see all the time? I mean, it's cool. Uh, you know, there's sometimes you, you get these guys who come from, from a little bit further out, Connecticut or something, who, you know, like the vultures I mentioned, they're picking through your boxes before, as soon as you take the lids off because maybe, you know, sometimes it almost feels sometimes like they're trying to catch you. Like, I find that a lot of retailers... Oh, are, they're looking for like something that you price too low or yeah, something like that? Yeah, like, I don't... Maybe it's just... Maybe I've just it's in my head and it's not really the thing, but I feel like a lot of retailer, other retailers are older than me. And so maybe they see me and they see this young dude setting up a booth and they're like, Oh man, he's definitely got wall books in his dollar boxes that he doesn't even fucking know he has, you know, and they're digging <laughs> through trying to catch me on like, like I teach this kid a lesson. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know my business and I've been called, I got caught with my pants down, like full down once. Like I mislabeled the box actually at a Clifton show and two guys took me hard. I mean, it Ooh. was, it was full of like older wall books that weren't really moving for me. And I accidentally put, I think it was a dollar comic sign oh. on the front when it should have been a 50% off sticker sign. And I totally fucked it up. And I, I, I had the table set up and these two guys were like, almost fighting each other to get through this box. And I'm thinking to myself, like, the fuck is in this box that he, you know, <laughs> these guys are like fighting each other. And there's, there's a white dude and a black dude. And like, there's like a little bit of elbows going. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what is in this box? I couldn't wait for them to be done so I could figure this out. And then the, and then one dude hands me a stack and he goes, uh, it's, it's 12 for 10, 12 for, cause we do dollar comic specials. So it's a buck each. 12, 12 comics for 10 bucks or 25 for 20. Um, you know, so the more yeah, you yeah, buy, the sure. cheaper it gets. So he goes, uh, it's, uh, or no, he goes, it's 25 for 20, right? And I go, yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm good. And he hands me the stack and I'm looking at it and I'm counting them. 
because you know sometimes people think they got 25 and it's really 26 right, yeah, yeah. 24 and i don't want to cheat anybody so i count them too and i'm counting i'm looking at them going some of these are silver age and they're not bad condition did i like screw this up and on the wall books, I'll put the prices on the back so that you can see the full cover on the front. Not that I'm trying to hide anything, yeah, yeah. but... I've seen other stores do that, too. People yeah, like yeah. to see, you know, and I got no problem. I'll take them off the wall as often as I have to and tell you what the price is, stuff like that. And I'm thinking to myself, like, these don't look like dollar books. I flip it over, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, 20 bucks. I have them priced, and I'm going, oh, shit. I put a dollar, and I look at the box, and it says $1 comics on the front. And I'm going, fuck, this is dollar comics. I, uh, what, oh my god and so now I'm trying to r get this guy all rung up and paid while so this other can, guy's digging yeah. in the box so that I can I mean I can't stop the other dude but at least I can cut it off right. after oh, he's man. done and take that second L and just switch the sign out quick and so I'm counting up the, I'm counting up the guy's body oh, okay yeah 20 bucks and he gives me 20 bucks for like almost like $300 worth of wall books and he walks away and I don't even have time to get heated because now I'm like walking around the table and I'm standing next to this dude and he's already got a pile going and he's like uh, 25 for 20 right and I'm like yeah I guess so you know and I guess I said it like that and then the dude made his pile and he gave me the 20 bucks and I counted up his comics and I took I took my lumps like a, like a, like a man and he walked away and I immediately changed the sign, but the second dude came up to me later because I guess he heard, like he really heard the way I said it to him, that he realized, I think, or maybe somebody else said something to him because I, I, I knew a couple people at the show and I, I kind of casually mentioned that like I fucked up labeling the box. And so he, uh, the dude actually came back over and he was like, listen, man, he was like, what was the real value? that you were trying to get for those books. And he wanted to pay me. Wow. And I sat there for a second and I thought about it and I just looked at him and I went, you know what, man? There were two of you guys who were in that box taking advantage of the fact that I mislabeled it, but you're the only one who walked over. I said, keep it. Don't even worry. And he was like, you sure, man? I was like, it's probably like $300. I was like, no, man, because you know what? At least you had the decency to like come over here and say like, hey, man, listen, I could tell that you, I, you know, you're in a you're in a situation you fucked up label in the box i get it we're all grown adults here like you know and i was like no 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 no. keep it i was like just think fondly of me you know if, if one day if the day comes where you have something that i'm looking for yeah like pay it forward you know or you know or hook somebody else up later like who's shopping at your booth like it's cool like i'm not it's my fault i take full responsibility for it it hurts but you know what it's i'm actually i'm floored that's actually you know that he came back yeah and offered that that's me, uh me too i just chalked it up to two two big l's and i was yeah. gonna move on with my life and these were both dealers you think or not uh one was a dealer one was just a dude who who show who comes who's there like every month i mean you know when you were telling me that i'm actually surprised between the two of them they didn't clean out the entire box You'd have thought so, right? Well, uh, I mean, like for yeah, at that price, it's I like, guess it was, like I guess the stuff in that box wasn't that good if they <laughs> didn't clean out the box. Because yeah, that's the sort of thing where I'd be like, uh, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> How many you got in here? Uh, you know, two hundred comics times twenty. Okay. Oh man. Yeah. Any other stories like that? <laughs> uh, I, thankfully, no. Good, thankfully, good. That's the only I fucked up labeling a box story that I have. Do um, you use cons to acquire new stuff for your store or like vintage stuff for your store? In the beginning, I did that a lot, especially with wall books. Um, and the Clifton show is good with that, too, because once you get to know the other dealers, at the end of the day, when everybody's kind of packing up their stuff, 
you know, some guys don't mind lightening their load a little bit, making a couple extra bucks. And some guys, you know, they're they're just cool. Uh, Ben's like that. Gar- there's this guy, Gary. Uh, there's this new guy, Matt. Uh, you know, there's a Mike Williams is a, is a dude who, set, who I set up next to like every Clifton show. We joke and take shots at each other and have a good time and fight over who's buying who coffee in the morning. Oh, last month you bought it. No, man, last month you bought it. It's on me this time. And like, <laughs> nice. you know, we go back and forth. But yeah, at the end of the day, like if I'm packing up and Mike's packing up next to me and I'll look at Mike and I'll go, hey, man, uh, what's up with the, you know, Detective 27? And he'll be like, I'm not cutting you a deal on the Detective 27, but you, you need a killing joke? I got a killing joke. Okay, you know, what can you do with me on the killing joke? Oh, I sold to you for this. Okay, yeah. And they know I'm trying to flip it, so they'll, they know, but they know what their cost is. And if they have flexibility, like Ben, Ben has been good, has been, from Zap has been cool with that since day one. I mean, when I opened up, he sold me a back stock that was, that was thorough and a ton of boxes but well i mean with his you know their warehouse stock i mean you could like fill up multiple stores (laughs) very true it wasn't like he didn't have the stock to sell me that's for sure but i mean he gave me a really good deal on it and then and even still every once in a while like he'll come over to my booth at clifton and he'll go uh you got any new silver age stuff uh you know what's what's new and hot at east side mags you know and i'll show him some stuff and you know if maybe we can work out a price and maybe it's just not stuff he's he's into and vice versa i'll walk over to his booth and I'll, hey if you don't sell that asm 300 by the end of the day uh you know what are the chances that you got five more back in your warehouse uh and you can sell me this one for a good for a good price and he'll go oh i'm sure we can work something out you know come see me after the show and if it's still there like you know, he'll hook me up. He'll, yeah. Because he knows I'm trying to make a buck too, and it's one less book he has to worry about. And he probably does have five more in his warehouse anyway. So, yeah, I tell you, man, he was like, I, I saw him the, oh, and I talked about this in our post New York Comic Con episode, but I saw him like the first minutes of New York Comic Con the first day. He was like giddy with excitement. He was like yeah. really charged up. Uh, so what's the what's the farthest you've you've gone to to set up at a show? Hmm. Or is it primarily like these local Jersey shows that you're doing? I did a show in Long Island once which was terrible mm. it was just not and it wasn't the the show's fault it was the vet it was at nassau coliseum and the security at nassau coliseum was just awful like uh-huh. you set up they let you drive into the venue but then the next day when you show up for the first day of the con and all you have is like maybe a short box of wall books and like a couple of miscellaneous items we had to wait in line with the other attendees like we couldn't go, there was no vendor entrance then they had to move atten- VIP attendees over to the side to let vendors go through, but they had to go through the box. I had to empty out my pockets and go through a metal detector and all this stuff. And I mean, I I get security to a certain to a certain extent, but yo, if I wanted to bring something dangerous into here, why wouldn't I have done it yesterday when you let me drive my whole fucking car into the basement of this place? Like. What what makes today so different that right. you didn't you know you didn't check my car with the mirror underneath the chassis or anything like that yesterday? So like what what is it with today that you feel like you need to do this? And it was like that. And then because it was Nassau Coliseum, I guess they got to open up their own snack bar. So at Nassau Coliseum, it okay. was like six dollars for a bottle of water and eight dollars for a hot dog. But they had food trucks outside. So I went, you know what? If I'm going to spend eight bucks on food, like I'm going to go to the food trucks. Well, if I went outside to the food trucks that were parked literally as close as 20, 30 feet from the entrance, 
I had to, when I came back, I couldn't bring the food back in. I had to go back through security and the metal detectors and all that stuff. Even if I was just going outside to eat a sandwich and come back and never left the view of security from the doors. And I was just like, ugh. Yeah, that's a hassle. You know, so in, in two weeks we have our season finale and I'm bringing back Chris Wilcock from Undiscovered Realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know him? Yeah, he's a... Oh, I, I think I met him once or twice. I know this guy Derek who does a lot of stuff with him, but Undiscovered okay. Realm, they're everywhere. They're he, at every you know, show. They're the road warriors. And yeah. so you know, we're going to be talking about all the shows they do. They have a very, very heavy convention presence. And I, I know from talking to him and seeing his posts, like the, the hassle that the load-in and loadout can be at some of these shows. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that a bit, a bit deeper next time. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to hear about that, you know, from you, any, anything else along those lines, as far as just like the logistics, the, the practical matters of getting in and out of these shows, anything that, that really stands out. I mean, Nassau was the worst. Like I'll never, I'll never do another show at Nassau. I don't care who's running it just because of that. Like that was just, it just puts such a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I don't think I've ever been to a venue that was that bad. Like, yeah. usually, is it? I mean, for the shows that you've done, is it usually relatively seamless of getting in early to to set up your stuff? Yeah, yeah. I think for the most part, you know, the Clifton shows are funny because you know, for a show that small, you'd think it wouldn't be a big deal, but literally, like everybody shows up at the same time because everybody knows what time the tables are going to set up. So it's a little bit of a shit show trying to find parking. Gotcha. And, I'm driving a truck with a trailer attached, and some guys just bring a truck. And wait for the for the Clifton show. You bring that much stuff? Oh wow! Yeah, I have. I I usually have three tables in like a little U shape. Ah, so it's like how many boxes are we talking? Seven too many to fit in just my truck. That's <laughs> it's it's a it's a gross misappropriation misappropriation of space because I have no middle ground. If if I can't fit anything in the back of my 2015 Ford Edge then I have to bring this five by nine trailer. Like I just, I physically don't have enough room for everything. And so because I have three tables, I need like a whole, I think it's like nine nine long boxes fit on a table and like seven of them I can't get in my car. Gotcha. So unless I have this huge gap in my table space, I have to bring the trailer. It's a total pain in the ass, <laughs> but whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. Unless I buy a bigger car, which is not an option. Can't afford it. It's funny as we're as we're talking. Uh, something caught my eye behind us. You have prints by uh, a pair of prints by uh, artist Greg Schiegel. Yeah, that's yeah, good eye. Good friend of mine and a past guest oh, on the show. Yeah, I know Greg real well. And Greg listens, so you you say hello to Greg. He'll hear this. Greg has a podcast too. He does. Stuff said. Greg Greg never interviewed me though on his podcast. He never interviewed me either. Oh, Greg, if you're listening, man, uh, I know two guys who would love to be on this podcast. I mean, I've had I've had Greg on my show multiple times. Oh, I'm just saying. See, I don't have a podcast, so I can't make that claim. But yeah, I think Greg needs to have Jeff and Anthony on his show. Uh, yeah, that'd be cool. And Call, I would, calling them out here. I totally do it. But uh, you know, <laughs> and actually, Greg, Greg. So I met Greg uh, through his friend Brian Smith, who 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 draws and writes comics. Because Brian used to live right in town. Brian was the first artist I ever met when I before I even opened my doors. When this when this room was just. No fixtures on the wall, just filled to the brim with long boxes and me and my friend Howie pricing out comics and trying to figure out what's back issue worthy and what's wall worthy. Uh, We had a knock on the door. We had paper up in the windows and we opened it up and 
it was Brian Smith, but I didn't know it was Brian Smith at the time. And he had longer hair and he had this crazy look in his eye. And he was like, what are you guys doing in here? Uh, it's going to be a comic book store. And he was so excited. Oh my God, that's great. Oh my God. That's exactly what this town needs. It's a comic book. And I was like, who is this crazy dude? <laughs> like, I have no idea. And then he came in a co- like a couple days after I opened and he was like, oh good, you're open. And he introduced himself and I went, wait, did you work on this? Did, like this SpongeBob has your name on it and this stuff of legend. And, you know, and he was like, yeah. And I wrote, I got this book called the intrepid escape goat. And, you know, through Brian was really how I started making connections to other, uh, other artists and writers who lived in the New York city nice. metropolitan area. And, uh, yeah. And Greg was one of them and Greg's super cool, man. Yeah, He's Greg's a, a real nice guy. So I just saw Greg, uh, in October at the, there was this literary festival at the Westport library in Connecticut. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, Greg was set up there as one of the authors and I moderated a panel with, uh, Paul Kupperberg, novelist, okay. uh, Rob Hart and an image comics writer named Sebastian Gurner. Nice. Uh, so it was, you know, it was, it was a fun day and it was cool to be able to do the panel. Uh, yeah, but I saw him there. So yeah, even though he hasn't had us as guests on his show, well, pl- he's got, he's got stuff said. He's, he also started now a new YouTube video series called, uh, stuff sketched oh. where he films himself sketching and, and he talks about what he's drawing. So that's some cool stuff. Good. I haven't seen Greg in a while. I just saw Brian and Jacob. Uh, oh sure, J- yeah. Jacob Chabot. Uh, is that how you say his name? Chabot. I'm, Chabot. Not, I'm not positive. Jacob. I just call him Jacob. Uh, I saw Brian and Jacob at New York Comic Con, and they're always they're always a good a good pair to hang out with. Uh, and then I like to think of Greg as like the third part of the, their Three Musketeers uh, with Chris Russo. Like, oh, well, we can't forget Chris. No, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> I was sad that. Uh, sad and happy at the same time because Brian lives in North Carolina now, and he has the Fungin jun- the Fungin Dungeon. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, oh, their studio. studio. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah? yeah. Oh man, I haven't. I, I haven't made it down there. I, I want to. Uh, it's cool. So I, uh, for both the podcast and the documentary, I went down to Greensboro uh, to record and film with uh, Acme Comics. Oh and, yeah, and their studio cool. is like less minutes away. Yeah. Uh, and I actually recorded a a Kickstarter exclusive episode of the podcast with Chris, nice. uh, which is a lot of fun. So yeah, the space is cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, Chris. We were lucky enough to have Chris here once or twice. Uh, before he moved down there. So uh, we kind of, we got our Chris fix in. Uh, Brian was here a bunch before he moved down to North Carolina. I met the guys from Acme one year uh, at the retailer breakfast at New York Comic Con. I plopped down at a table and I started talking and with one of the guys across the table kind of gave me this weird look and was like, where's your shop? And I was like, oh, it's in Montclair. And he goes, do you know Brian Smith? And it like, <laughs> out of all these tables at this fucking retailer <laughs> breakfast i sat at the one with the guys from acme comics and they're like yeah we're from acme comics i go you're brian's new comic shop i was like i'm brian's old comic shop nice to meet you this isn't weird this is totally cool and i was like can i have brian back now and they were like no and i was like okay <laughs> let's go listen to the publishers talk about new stuff like <laughs> speaking of that so uh in the in the so i went to the retailer breakfast this year Oh, did you? And uh, I talked about it in in that episode, so I won't rehash the whole thing for people who listen to that. But uh, my impression of it was it was it was really hard to stay awake. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it was it's boring. Bu- it's bullshit. I'll fucking say it. Yeah, like, what's your, you can, yeah? It's bullshit because, and I tell people all the time, and I, like I think this year is like the year that I finally pulled the trigger and just say I fucking had it, is because they don't give us anything information wise that's worthwhile uh, yes all they're doing at this breakfast in october 
is reading to us stuff they're going to submit to the previews magazine in December for stuff coming out in February. Yep. And that's it. Because anything that they say to us at that retailer breakfast, my customers who, who get the previews catalog are going to find it out in December anyway. And all the stuff that's in December is stuff coming out in February. They don't tell us anything worthwhile. Like Valiant. Valiant is the only publisher that I will give credit to because at least they're fucking entertaining, man. They got up there this year. You saw that glass cover shit? Yeah. Oh, you were there? Yeah. Oh, this oh, okay. I made it I made it there. I missed well, first of all, the breakfast part is bullshit because it's it's like prison eggs and rubbery bacon. <laughs> okay. No, I, I feel like a convict. Like I feel like after I'm done eating my eggs, I need to take my plastic fork and stab the biggest guy in the room. Like just to prove my dominance. Like it's it's stupid. Like it's just I'm only la- I'm especially laughing because I know you didn't hear the episode, but that was exactly how Steve, the former owner of Alternate Realities, who I went with, that's how he described it as as prison eggs. Prison eggs. I didn't think they were that bad because again he, he lowered my expectations so much you know that stuff was powder before I they know. started cooking it right it's, I it's powdered eggs but I, I guess my expectations were so low that i'm like it's not that bad i don't know but now i'm outnumbered here the, so we've had it described as prison <laughs> eggs multiple times now <laughs> the, the, the pastries they can't fuck up because they just order them from off-site and ship them in and, and yeah. coffee i mean it's beans and water it's hard to fuck that up i like the coffee but the eggs and the and the, and the bacon and the sausages and oh, i don't know shit's gross i'll eat it yeah. uh, don't get me wrong like you'll see me next year and you'll be like oh you were talking shit about those eggs and i'll go yeah but there's still eggs i'll eat it whatever <laughs> but yeah i missed the i missed the prison eggs and the rubber bacon all right uh, i know you know it's because i was looking around that room and i was like to see if i knew anyone i would have recognized you so yeah. I didn't, all right so that explains oh that. no I, I i i i ran late because i had to drop my little guy off at daycare and this is the first time i've ever had a little guy to do that with so i just made it like five seven minutes before the presentation started so i literally just grabbed like a seat kind of towards the back of the room only to find out that they were going to call off the rows starting at the front of the room for the swag because all i wanted was to get my stuff and get out of there yeah but Although uh, that ended up being a mess anyway because they well yeah yeah and then everyone was just like because oh. we're retailers and nobody gives a shit and they're gonna go we're gonna do yeah. this in an orderly fashion and all the other retailers go fuck you we're just gonna get up and go out but uh no those valiant guys man uh this dude adam freeman who used to be the sales rep for Valiant, he was always super entertaining. And the dude, Matt, who has the job now, used to be a guy planet. I had, yeah, and he and I used to have direct contact with him for Valiant stuff. And he was always super nice to me, always treated me right. And then when I found out he got the job, I was like, okay, that's cool. And I actually posted, I tagged, uh, I tagged Adam, the previous sales guy for Valiant in the post. And I said, you've trained your Padawan well. Uh, he, he's, he's got the humor. He put his cell phone number up on the, sc- on the screen for yeah, everybody. Yeah, he made a big down. point of that, yeah. You know, and like, and, and like, I respect Valiant because, you know what, their books may not sell the best across the board, but damn it, man, those guys are coming up with new things that people haven't thought of or new spins on stuff that people have thought of. I heard Adam Freeman talk about how they were bringing foil covers back because they found a warehouse in Canada that uh, had housed all the old Jim Lee image Wildcats foil that they used to use in the 90s. And the warehouse was full of it. And it was a total bullshit story. But the fact that he was so elaborate that he he came up with it, (laughs) I was like, yo, you're hilarious. And then this glass cover shit where he's like, they're like knocking on it in the 
in the in yeah. the microphone and everything. Yeah, this the bloodshot like, variant is on it's a, never, a glass cover. Yeah, it's never. I'm doing the live wire one. We're gonna have a signing with Vita Ayala. I'm still uh, like we're finalizing the last bit of details, but I'm gonna buy 250 fully returnable copies of Live Wire number one. Just to get that glass cover, we're going to bring Vita in. We're going to do a signing with Valiant on like a Thursday in like the afternoon. But it's going to be dope. And it's going to be a great time because Vita's a super nice chick. Like she's great to hang out with. And I think the book's going to be great. I haven't gotten to read the preview yet, but I have full confidence in it. And those guys are just out there just trying to stand out. And they're doing it. And they're just doing different things than the other publishers are. Unlike, you know, certain people who do sales for Marvel where they go, oh, there's going to be an all-new Guardians team. And we won't tell you who, but we'll give you one character. And you're like, oh, great. Like, who right. cares? So, like, that's that's the thing. And, and you know, what, what you're saying now echoes, you know, kind of what Steve and I discussed when we broke this down in that episode. But... That was 100% the impression that I got where almost everything that they had up on those slides had already been announced. Like DC was talking about the new uh, Green Lantern series by Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp. It's like, yeah. okay, we already know about this. And when they were teasing projects that like hadn't been announced yet, they, they weren't giving you the information. It was just kind of like, all right, you know, like a little bit of a hint. And then it's like, okay, stay tuned. We're going to announce this later. So it wasn't really like you were getting anything Yeah. So extra. why the hell did you wake me up at seven in the morning to be here? Right. And I will say <laughs> though, yeah, it was uh, Valiant and I, was it, I guess, Boom too. Like they were more geared towards retailers, at least talking about returnability practices yeah. and things like that. The glass cover thing was interesting to me. The fact that, you know, it's this one and 250, but those two, like it's returnable. So you yeah. could... You know, order enough to get the variant and then send back what you don't sell. And you that's, get the maximum discount. Yeah, so that's pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah, them and Boom are very retailer focused. And I give those guys a lot of credit because they are they are the two companies. And if you catch if you catch them at the right con in the right mood, because I saw them I saw them present almost back to back in Baltimore one time. And it was almost like they were taking shots at each other without uh, like being like fully open about it. But you could tell, like, the way one presentation went, and then when the other one went up to give their presentation, they were kind of, like, yeah. trying to juke, nah. juke the first one. Like, and it was, it was kind of funny. But they're just both, like, super, super retailer-focused. They get that we take that they don't have Batman, they don't have Spider-Man, they don't have any of these big-name characters that are almost guaranteed to sell. So you're essentially, as a retailer, taking a risk by stocking giant days or lumberjanes or black badge like you know no one's ever heard of these but if they make it appealing and less worrisome for me as a retailer to put money out on these books by offering returnability or a maximum discount or some kind of incentive for me then i take a little bit more of a gamble and then maybe i read a copy and i go oh what's this black badge oh oh Hey, this is kind of cool. And when someone comes in, you know, like I don't, I refuse to believe any retailer runs a shop where they never get anybody who's coming in going, I'm looking for something new to read. Like, right. yeah, you know, maybe I'll remember that Valiant let me buy 250 copies of a comic just to get one glass cover and then return 248 and get all my money back. And I'll go, hey, you know what? You should read Britannia. Or, oh, you know what? You might like Bloodshot because Vin Diesel is going to be playing Bloodshot in a movie soon. You know, and it's little stuff like that that makes all the difference. Whereas, you know, some people go, 
there's going to be a new Guardians, all new Guardians team next year, and we're going to let you know that this one person who nobody really cares about is going to be one of the members. And it's like... Uh, yeah, and here are the rest in silhouette. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess. All right, I'll tell my customers. Yeah, it's Cosmic Ghost Rider, by the way. So no, it's cool. I'm glad we were able to get your take on that. Uh, this has been a blast. So you and I are going to keep talking uh, on the My Comic Shop History After Show, but uh, this will do it for our our main episode here. Uh, where can people find you in person and online? What do you want to plug? Uh, so the shop is at 7 South Fullerton Ave in Montclair, New Jersey, dead center in the middle of Montclair Center. Uh, our website is eastsidemags.com, Facebook, sla- facebook.com slash eastsidemags, at eastsidemags on Twitter, Instagram. I'm pretty sure they didn't shut down my Google Plus account <laughs> yet. So you could probably still find me on Google Plus if you use that. Uh, I'm on Vero. For some reason, you and Zack Snyder, you can find me and Zack Snyder talking about this mythical Justice League cut that no one's ever going to see. Um, <laughs> it's probably next to the real Holy Grail in some cave somewhere. Um, I mean, there, the, I don't want to get into it. But <laughs> <laughs> no, let it. I want to see it. Let it out. I'm, I'm with you. I want to see it. And I know there are conflicting reports about like whether it actually exists. And I agree. It probably, I'm sure some cut of his is out there but how finished it is and how watchable it is just even just in terms of the effects i don't know i feel like we're more likely to figure to find out who actually shot jfk than we are to ever see the Zack snyder cut of justice league I know. just saying but I'm it's like even it if you there. just look at the original trailers like there's so much stuff that didn't make it into the yeah. final cut and they only had those two quick little deleted scenes i on just the want dark side i just want to fucking see dark side in a live action movie like is it so fucking hard to get dark side dark side yeah. With the Omega beams and oh, so good. Would have been so good. I know. I'm so upset. Anyway. I'm with you on this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so social media, Eastside Mags, uh, Google us, tweet at us, Facebook us, like us, review us, tell us what we're doing right, tell us what we're doing wrong. Uh, I'm waiting for the results. We've won three. There's a local magazine called Suburban Essex Magazine. We've won three years in a row. I'm waiting to find out if this being the the first year that I didn't take out an advertisement didn't buy me an award. If I uh, interesting, maybe I won't win an award because I didn't. Yeah, I didn't give them ad revenue this year, so we'll find out. But hopefully, four years in a row. But yeah, right here in Montclair, New Jersey, man. We're right in dead heart in the center, and. Uh, Cool. And we're online. Well, thank you so much for being part of this episode. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, thank you to everyone for tuning in. Be sure to head on over to the My Comic Shop History Patreon page to hear Jeff and I keep talking for the after show. And then come back here in two weeks for the season finale of My Comic Shop History. Until then, don't be a flat squirrel. This episode is brought to you in part by our friends at Undiscovered Realm, your go-to spot for gaming and Funko Pops. Find them online at undiscoveredrealm.com, at comic conventions across the country, and at their storefront in White Plains, New York. I am excited to announce that Chris Wilcock, owner of Undiscovered Realm, will be my guest in two weeks for the My Comic Shop History season finale. Be sure to tune in.